This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 127. We're looking this morning at Psalm 127 and also Psalm 128, since uh, their themes are are quite similar. Uh, And while they are two separate, distinct psalms uh, taken together, they sort sort of flesh out and fill out for us one picture. We'll read uh, Psalm 127, beginning in verse 1 and through Psalm 128. These are, of course, songs of ascent, as we've been studying the series of those in the middle here of the book of Psalms, Psalms 120 through Psalms 1, Psalm 134. So Psalm 127, beginning verse 1. Hear the word of God. Unless the Lord builds the house... Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth, Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this passage, these two psalms that we've read this morning, for their truth, that they are your inspired word breathed out by you. And Father, as we study them, we pray for the uh, help of your Holy Spirit. Uh, We pray, Father, that you would open our eyes, uh, give us alert minds ready to receive truths that you have for us. And pray, Father, that you would sanctify us by your word. And Father, we pray that we might adore you and worship you in the study of it. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Since 1647, the motto of the city of Edinburgh, Scotland, has been Nisi Dominus Frustra. Without the Lord, it is in vain. A sentiment, obviously, uh, taken from the opening verses of Psalm 127. Without the Lord, it is in vain. Nothing kills the human spirit quite like a sense of 
futility. A sense of just spinning your wheels. A sense of striving and working hard, yet going nowhere. As we look at these two psalms together, uh, they warn us about the danger that we live a life that is full of sound and fury signifies nothing, actually ends up being futility, being in vain, uh, that we're just running a rat race that accomplishes nothing. With the Lord, however, now that's a different story. And that's what these two psalms encourage us in and remind us of, uh, that this life lived for the Lord and in the Lord is never in vain. Life lived in service to Christ, whatever service that form might take, not just talking about vocational Christian ministry, but whatever you do, uh, life lived in and for the Lord is never in vain. And that's the lesson that we learn from these two psalms taken together. And particularly, they remind us of three blessings that come to us as we serve the Lord in Christ Jesus. Three blessings to keep in mind. First of all, uh, these psalms remind us of the blessing the Lord gives us of productivity, of real, lasting productivity. And we see this in the first two verses of each psalm. Each takes a different look at it. The first is negative. Verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor build it in vain. Now, I think the reference is here to a literal structure, although you know in the Scriptures the word house is often used of a family. or In the the case of kings, a dynasty, you remember that familiar passage in 2 Samuel uh, 7, where, the, where David wants to build a house for the Lord, and the Lord says, no, but he will build a house that is a dynasty, a lasting dynasty for you. But the point here, just take it literally, is, is the, the construction of a house. Those who build it labor in vain. That means to, to no lasting end in a, in a futile or meaningless sense. He uses another illustration. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. He may stay awake, on guard against enemies, on guard against an attack, but unless the Lord is there to protect, to give success to its defenders, he stays awake in vain. Uh, Verse 2, it's in vain you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Now, building a house literally is not something I think most of us have done. Uh, Some of you uh, have, uh, but we can all imagine uh, various projects we've taken on. Uh, that might be akin to that. Uh, guarding, protecting. Uh, we may not watch over a city, but we probably lock the doors and set the alarms and watch over our own house. But here's one we can all identify with in verse 2. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to bed late, uh, anxiously toiling, eating the bread of anxious toil, as he says. We know what it's like to put in long hours, to work hard, trying to get done what we need to get done or things that we want to get done. But it's in vain if the Lord is not in it. But then uh, Psalm 128 takes a more positive view. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it will be well with you. A very different picture. Not vanity, 
but productivity, satisfying outcome to labor. But why the, why the, the vanity of this? Why is it in vain? We say, you know, we know people that don't serve the Lord, that don't know the Lord, uh, may even curse the Lord, who seem to be very productive, who seem to get good things done. Uh, what, what does this passage say to that? Well, yes, an unbeliever can have success and prosperity and be productive in this world, but only for this world. Only for this world. And because that's the case, because there's no transcendent, overarching purpose and meaning to what he's done, Virtually every successful person who does not know the Lord in this world, if they're honest, will admit they hit a point where they say, what is the the, the purpose of all this? When you hit the top and there's nothing else left, what else is there? And find that uh, it's not quite all it was cracked up to be. That's, That's what the whole book, the biblical book of Ecclesiastes is about where King Solomon has the opportunity to try out all kinds of different things, wealth, pleasure, projects, you name it, with virtually unlimited resources at his disposal. And every time he comes up saying, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's meaningless, ultimately does not satisfy. And that's what this psalm is saying. It's not that an unbeliever can't be productive in this world. But at the end of the day, if all we are is a cosmic accident in the void, what does it really matter? But you see, we who know the Lord and serve the Lord have that overarching, transcendent purpose that gives meaning to the smallest tasks and the greatest endeavors that we take on. And so there is purpose that goes beyond just this life. And we avoid that sense of futility. The Lord blesses us as we look to him and trust in him with productivity. And it often goes far beyond our efforts. Uh, One of the, the, the miracles of Jesus that is recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is the feeding of the 5,000. All four record that count. And that miracle is significant on a number of fronts. That points us to who Jesus is as the Messiah, for example, as all his miracles do. Uh, it, It teaches us not just what Jesus can provide for the body, but what he does for the soul. As John 6 goes on with that elaborate discourse of Jesus in talking about the the true spiritual meaning of the feeding of the 5,000. But one of the lessons that Jesus is teaching the disciples, and you catch this if you read it carefully, the, the disciples themselves come to Jesus and say, these people are out here, we're kind of out in this desolate area, and we don't have anything to feed them with. They're going to get hungry, there's no food for them, send them home, Jesus, so they can go and, and get something to eat. Jesus said to his disciples, what? You give them something to eat. You can imagine, you know, their jaw probably dropped a little at that statement. And they, they, they managed to come up with the five loaves and two fish, you know, but as one of the disciples asked, what, what's that among so great a crowd of people? That's all we've got. There's nothing here. There's no way. And you know what happens. Jesus takes the loaves and the fish 
And he feeds this, the crowd, which is called the feeding of the 5,000, but that was just the men. It was probably at least double that size. And Jesus takes what they have and uses that to feed this, this great crowd. Talk about, talk about efficient productivity. Of course, there was, there was a work of creation going on. In that miracle, the one the one who called a universe into being out of nothing has no trouble calling it, uh, you know, some more fish and loaves into being out of what's already there, creating more. Uh, talk about productivity. And yet that is an example in in grace through the power of Christ of how God is able to take our labors, our efforts, feeble as they may be, and use them to accomplish far more than we might ask or Imagine, not only is our labor in the Lord not, not in vain, with the blessing of Christ, it's often far more than we could have imagined it would be, and certainly far more than our efforts warrant. So productivity comes from committing our work to the Lord. A sense of purpose and meaning comes from doing that. First Corinthians says, whatever you do, whether you eat, drink, even those most mundane activities of life, do whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You know how Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, he says, remember that when you work, you're working not just for men, but you're serving the Lord. You know, as we take that view of our work, of our recreation, whatever it is, we find that there's meaning and point to it that the unbeliever simply does not have. Now, we need to recognize that, that what the psalmist is saying here is not pointing us to idleness. It's not pointing us to this view that, well, God's going to do it, so there's nothing for me to do. Notice, he says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. He's not talking about, you know, we just quit doing and, and say, well, the Lord will take care of that. No, he's not talking about idleness. In fact, Paul has some pretty strong warnings uh, in his letters to the Thessalonians uh, about this very thing. In uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14, Paul says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, not I-D-O-L, the I-D-L-E, those who are not doing anything. Apparently there may have been some in Thessalonica who for one reason or another had decided just to knock off work. Maybe they thought Jesus was coming back tomorrow, so they might as well quit and sit around and wait for him. We don't know. And the problem didn't get better. Maybe they didn't admonish them strongly enough because in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, Paul has to give them a pretty stern admonishment. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10, Even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So this psalm is not an invitation to idleness. You know, just you know, let back, just sit back, let the Lord take care of it. No, we work hard. We do what the Lord calls us to do, whether it's work or play or whatever, service to the to the best of our ability. But this also uh, does not mean overworking. The Lord does not call us to wear ourselves out. 
to exhaust ourselves. Notice the middle of the, the Psalm 127, verse 2. Eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. He also gives us the Sabbath day. But he refers to sleep here, not that we lie awake at night anxious over what we need to do the next day or the next week or how we're going to pay the bills or what we're going to do. He points out that with the labor, there's peace. There is trust. There's both effort, but there's also resting in the Lord. That he gives us sleep at night. We're able to work hard during the day, but then we're able to sleep at night, not fretting we should be doing more, but trusting that the Lord is going to take care of us and provide for us. There's a um, passage in Mark 4. It's easy to skip over, uh, but I think it's an absolutely vital one. Uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 26, the parable of the growing seed. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. When the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Notice what he does. He does what he should do. He scatters seed on the ground. He does what he's supposed to do. But then it says in verse 27, he sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows, and he doesn't know how it happens. He does what he's supposed to do, but then he's able to rest at night. And he has nothing to do with that seed germinating. The Lord does that. The Lord makes it increase, makes it grow, do what it's supposed to do. Well, that's sort of a picture of how we live our lives, sometimes literally if you have a garden, but uh, more to the point in, in our labor, in our work, in the callings to which the Lord has called us. We do what we're supposed to do, then we're able to lie, to lie down and rest at night and sleep well, trusting that the Lord is going to bless and use those efforts. It certainly uh, does mean that we work hard. And those same passages in Thessalonians, their efforts Paul makes to his own labors, how diligently he labored in the gospel among them. But we want to avoid the extremes of idleness on the one hand, and uh, to use a modern term, workaholism on the other. But trusting and resting in the Lord to make our hard labor for him, good work for him, productive. That's the first blessing. Second blessing is that of a heritage. That of a lasting heritage. Interesting that both Psalms refer to children. Verse 3, Psalm 127. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. And then again, 128. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Why the talk of children? Well, we're talking about work, not laboring in vain. And suddenly we're talking about children. What's with that? Well, trying to see the connection of the Lord's provision, the Lord's uh, blessing, the Lord doing for us what we cannot do, uh, children certainly fall into that category. Um, about the Lord rewarding effort uh, with much productivity, there's nothing you and I can do to create a child other than through the normal God-given uh, methods uh, avenues, even scientifically, it's it's working on the same basis uh, biologically as what the Lord has built into us. Um, and yet, normally we would not even refer to that as labor or work. Uh, and yet the Lord brings a human being into the world. 
the comparison with agriculture, the, the Mark 4 passage, is, is apropos. Uh, and yet the Lord blesses us with children. And it says that they are a heritage from the Lord. Uh, we do little work, and yet what, what, a, what a production, something we could never create on our own apart from the Lord's blessing. But they are a blessing. They are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. And before we move on, we need to recognize that there is in our culture a very strong sentiment opposite to what this psalm is teaching, uh, that, that children are something to be put up with, something to be gotten over, something to be avoided altogether, uh, whereas, in fact, the biblical view is that children, and yes, lots of children, are a blessing and a reward from the Lord. Some will say, well, what, you know, what about pop- overpopulation? We need to be good stewards of the earth. Uh, well, you know, it really is the case that the biggest problem for most nations today is not overpopulation. It's a demographic time bomb, an aging population, fewer workers for those in their older years who are retired, who are uh, declining in health. You see this especially acute in Japan, in, uh, increasingly in China. Uh, someone once said China will grow old before it grows wealthy. Uh, in Russia, uh, less so in the United States, but mainly because of immigration. The greatest danger to most nations today is not overpopulation. It is a demographic time bomb as the population ages and there's no one replacing them and not enough people to support them uh, with its resultant effects, not only in demographics, but on the economy of a nation and the future of a nation. Uh, somewhat of an aside, but we need to, to counter the common cultural view that children are at best something to put up with. Uh, they are a blessing. They are uh, a sign of God's reward, a fruit, the fruit of the womb, a reward from the Lord, from the Lord. And we look at the, some of the reasons he gives, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Blessed is a man who fills his quiver with them. They will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. In that culture especially, but it's also true to a degree in ours, children mean security now and for the future. And the idea here is of a man who faces his enemies in the gate, which in that day functioned much like the courthouse does in ours. Um, if he's be surrounded by his grown children, maybe some large sons, uh, he's, he's in a good way. And even in Psalm 128, uh, your wife is like a fruitful vine. Children will be like olive shoots around your table. The, the indication there is, is of life, of vitality, of, uh, of a future. Thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So protection now, care in old age, uh, which was especially true then. Uh, we have uh, programs and such in place today to provide for us in old age they didn't have. Uh, but they can't really take the place of children who love and look out for and care for their aging Parents and just promise for the future. So they are a heritage. I remember seeing a bumper sticker that said, I touch the future, I teach. Well, made me think of, you know, I touch the future, I've had children. Uh, yeah, you do. But it's also true, uh, God may give you a heritage in other ways. God may not give you children of your own, but certainly in the covenant family of God, uh, we are covenant parents to one another's children. You may or may not have children of your own or grandchildren of your own. 
but you are shaping a heritage for the future through your interaction with the children that God has committed to us as a congregation of the Lord or children uh, within your family that may not be directly your own. And don't write that off. Don't write that off at all. Think, for example, the case of Henrietta Mears, who for many years was the director of Christian education at First Presbyterian Church in Hollywood, among others whose lives she shaped, and there were hundreds who went out of that church and just alone into full-time Christian ministry who were influenced by her. Uh, she also founded Gospel Light Publishing, had a strong influence on Bill Bright uh, at, at his conversion when he became a believer. Bright, unless you, you know, if you don't know, was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. Think of all of the, the, the many people that Henrietta Mears continues to influence indirectly today through that uh, through that ministry. And by the way, they changed the name to Crew, not because they want to take the name Christ out of it and go off in some bad direction, uh, but because they were assessing, uh, after assessing their name, they're no longer limited to the campus. Uh, the word crusade could have problematic implications, uh, and they couldn't just call themselves Christ or that would be blasphemous. So uh, they did change their name to Crew, C-R-U, which apparently is what some of them would refer to it just by shorthand. Um, but Bill Bright uh, and others who, uh, who Mears influenced. She never married, never had children of her own. But her children and the Lord were many and influential. So the Lord may give you a heritage in other ways uh, than just your own immediate biological or even adopted children. But then finally, the blessing of peace, the blessing of productivity. Our work has point and meaning, and the Lord blesses it and uses it. Uh, a heritage that we have as part of God's family, looking toward the future and what God is doing in the world. And then finally, peace. Look at verses 5 and 6 of Psalm 128. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity You can think the productivity, the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. There's the productivity, a blessing from the Lord. May you see your children's children, a heritage. May you see your literal grandchildren, but maybe also your spiritual grandchildren, those you've led and nurtured and influenced in the Lord themselves, ministering to others who minister to others. And then finally, peace be upon Israel. You see, peace is the result. When we serve Christ in faith, trusting him with the outcome of our labors, when we look to him, whether it's our own literal children or spiritual children, to give us a heritage uh, that goes on into the future and indeed on into eternity, then there's a sense of peace, not futility, not frustration, not emptiness, not vanity, but a sense of peace that the Lord makes what we do significant and that it will have lasting results in this world and in the world to come. Would that uh, Edinburgh and the rest of Scotland and the United Kingdom and Europe and indeed many places today not finding out in the wrong way the truth of that Edinburgh motto, Nisi Dominus Frustra, without the Lord it is in vain. And they are finding out the truth of that, unfortunately, in a negative way. I trust that that will not be so with you, that we will find out positively Uh, Through the blessing of God, that without the Lord it is in vain, but with the Lord it is anything but in vain. And uh, Paul reminds us powerfully of that truth at the end of 1 Corinthians 15 after talking about 
the reality of the bodily, historic resurrection of Jesus from the grave. Because Christ died and was raised to new life, then our preaching is true. Our faith is not in vain. And Paul admonishes us, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that truth. We thank you that we're just not uh, running a a treadmill, uh, just spinning our wheels, going nowhere. Uh, Sometimes, Lord, in this fallen world, it may seem that way, to be sure. But, Lord, you know. And you you receive our service, our labor, our work, uh, our play, as we offer it up to you and do it all to the glory of God. Father, we pray that you would make us, as your people, productive in whatever we take up for the glory of God. We pray, Father, that we would see in our efforts in this life, in our families, in our church family, uh, that we are creating a heritage for years to come and indeed for eternity. And, Father, I pray that we would know the peace of that, uh, that we can serve you hard during the day, give you all our might, and then rest well at night, knowing it's all in your hands. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.